Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I hope everyone had a lovely holiday. I don't know if you're listening to this the very next day after the 4th of July, but if you are, hope it was great. Uh, For those rising seniors who are listening, this is your friendly reminder. It is time to get focused on those college applications. Now is the time to get a lot of stuff done. Uh, So make sure you make the most of the rest of your summer. On the show today, we are going to be talking about some things that would be very relevant to those rising seniors. Uh, Actually, one of the big things is more about the UK in terms of options and the process. Um, We did a show not too long ago about some of the myths associated, and we're just going to dig a little bit more deeply into UK schools. Um, For those of you who maybe uh, have students who are heading off to college this summer or coming back, We actually are going to be talking a little bit more about how to transition home after that first year of college. That can be a little tricky. Uh, And then, but before we do that, we're actually going to be talking about um, bargain hunting for all that stuff you're going to need as you go to college in uh, just a few short months or weeks. Uh, And I'm excited to welcome Lori Peltier who is a colleague here at College Coach, a college finance expert and a former financial aid officer at Anna Maria and Becker Colleges, and happens to be a parent who just uh, happily saw both of her kids graduate from college. Uh, Hi, Lori. Hi, Beth. So, obviously, you have been through this before, and you did it with twins, so you had to be especially budget conscious, and then, of course, your background in uh, paying for college, as I'm sure made you extra, uh, put extra focus on the bottom line. And so we wanted to talk a little bit more about bargain hunting when it comes to things like getting your room set up, buying books, things like that. Um, So my first question for you is, uh, is there a set list of what students are going to need for their dorm rooms? Absolutely. There are lists that you can get from stores of what you might need uh, in your dorm room. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is a popular store in my area that has everything you could possibly need, um, and they have a checklist on their website that you can download. It is a little extravagant, in my opinion. It, it has every possible thing you could mm-hmm. use, so you may want to use that as a start to get the bare minimum. The college that your child's attending, their residence life office, may be able to help you as well. Oftentimes, they'll have a checklist of not only what you should bring, um, but also what you can't bring, which is important, too, because you don't want to get there and have something that gets turned away and they say they don't accept it. So you might get this list at orientation when the the student goes to orientation over the summer, or you might be able to contact the residence life office on campus. I know when I worked at a college, even though I was in the financial aid office, we would get parents on the phone all the time asking about the size and shape of the windows and mm-hmm. whether window treatments or microwaves or air conditioners or fans, you know, all these questions that parents had over the summer. Uh, so make sure you're checking with your college to see what's provided in the room 
and what is allowed in the room. Most dorms that I've seen, in my experience, have window coverings, so you don't have to worry about curtains unless you wanted extra coverage. Um, But things like that, you can check with the school for what comes with the room. Right, extra coverage or prettier coverage, maybe then, uh, because a lot of times, right, it's going to be blinds or something like that that isn't super attractive. But to your point, what if they have blinds up and that's their policy and you're not allowed to take that down and put something prettier in its place? So that's really good to know. Uh, And I also like the point you made about the Bed Bath & Beyond, that it's probably over the top because, hmm, they're trying to sell you all of these things. So... (laughs) You probably should look at the resource uh, that you're getting the list from um, before you go too crazy about what's realistic and, and what is actually necessary. I just, um, I don't remember bringing a whole lot up to decorate my dorm room with when I went away to college. It sort of seemed to be something that evolved over the, the course of the semester that we put different things up on the walls and and that kind of thing. So I also, you know, from my own personal experience, I think you probably want to go out up with a little bit less and have the ability to add to it rather than, um, you know, shocking your roommate by covering the room and pink or black or something crazy like that. Right, right. I know when um, my son went off to school, he's a big New England Patriots fan. We had looked at, you know, the comforter, the pillow, the poster, the light, the trash bucket, all New England Patriots. I'm like, you don't need it everywhere. (laughs) Maybe just a poster for $5.99 will do. And then, you know, if other kids like the New England Patriots, you'll have something to talk about or not talk about. So, you know, there is a way to put your signature style without having it to be everywhere plastered all over the room. Right, exactly. And what if your roommate is an Indianapolis Colts fan or, (laughs) you know, hates football or any number of options there. So very good point. Uh, But we're here today to talk about bargain hunting. So while it's great to know, first of all, you definitely want to know what you can bring, what you can't bring and bring and be thoughtful about um, what you want to bring. What tips can you offer for saving money in the process of buying all that stuff? Um, so a couple things. One is it, it's an emotional time for parents as their child moves off. And you might, when my daughter was moving off to California from Massachusetts, I went with high-end everything because I felt so guilty about sending her across the country. So I think you might want to check your emotions and just say, this is just where they're going to sleep. You know, you don't have to buy the high-end stuff. Some ways to uh, think about saving money in the process is just buying the bare minimum at first and maybe getting more when they're on sale. All of this Mm -hmm. stuff will go on sale after September 1st, so you might be able to get things a little later when you know exactly what you need, what you're missing, and buying it on sale. Um, Another thing is to check with the college to see if they have a package deal. This happened to us. I picked up bits and pieces for my son uh, as the summer started when I saw things go on sale. But then in mid-July, we got a flyer from the college with a package deal of everything you needed, different colors, and it was a better price because they were doing... Um, bulk shopping and getting mm-hmm. it. And it was still, you know, the brand name stuff that you would get from any of these stores. And the other nice thing that his school offered is not only could you sign up and buy everything you needed in a color-coordinated package, it could be waiting for him in the dorm room. 
so they didn't ship it home, and then you lugged it back to school. So especially some of the larger schools and schools who see a lot of maybe international students or students coming from a far distance, I think they're starting to do this to make it easier on the families. So check with the schools, again, the Residence Life Office, to see if they have a package deal where you could get all the different bedding and, and accessories for the room that you might need. Right. Um, and then there's also coupons. Um, again, Bed Bath & Beyond is notorious for flooding your mailbox with 20% off coupons. Uh, you can save those and use them. Um, they usually don't expire, even though they might have an expiration date. They usually don't. Check with family members to see if they have any of those extra coupons you can use. Um, and they also offer that service where you can go through the store as if it's like a wedding registry and check off mm-hmm. what you'd like. And then um, they will pack it all up and they will have it waiting for you at a store close to the child's college. So we did that for California. We shopped in Massachusetts, flew to California, got a rental car, went to Bed Bath & Beyond and picked up everything. So we didn't have to worry about packing it all in a suitcase on a plane. Uh, I think another important thing to think about over the summer is what is the roommate bringing? Most kids don't have a single room. They might even have two or three roommates. So... Who's bringing the refrigerator, the TV, mm-hmm. the microwave? You don't need two of those. Um, mm-hmm. No dorm room is big enough to have, you know, extra of those things. So make sure you're having a discussion with your roommates about who's bringing what. And you might be able to rent those from the school as well if you don't want to keep it and hold on to it, um, but just rent it for the school year. I think that's another thing to think about is how long do you need this stuff for? Most colleges today, the kids only live on campus for the first two years. Very few schools promise on-campus housing for all four years. So in my son's case, he only lived in a twin extra-long bed for two years, and now he's off campus and has his own bed from home. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might not need three shet- seats, oh, sorry, three <laughs> sets of sheets of extra-long twin, you know, sheets for just two years of college. So, and so you think about right. how long you'll need it for not only how long you'll need it for, but also how frequently is your child really going to do laundry? <laughs> I mean, you got to be honest, right? Yes. I know yeah. that there are people who didn't do laundry once and there were still sheets in the package, which is obviously gross, yeah. but reality. And then yeah. I also know people who were doing their laundry without fail once a week. And for them, it was really important to have that extra sheet because, you know, yeah. that way they could have a clean sheet on the bed at all times. So. Mm-hmm. Be honest about the kid that you have there. Um, the other thing I wanted to add just to those, and, and I love that idea. I never even thought about the idea of if you're putting, if your child's going to be going to a school far from where you live, that you could just take care of ordering and paying for it all and then just go and pick it up. That's a great idea. I think also just like you would do a registry for a, a wedding shower, if you're going to have a big graduation party, people could bring cards with money or maybe you could say, hey, if, you know, in lieu yep. of um, stuff like that, we have this these things that we need for school. And if you wanted to bring a present versus just giving money, this that could be a great way um, to do that. And then finally, my mother, who um, uh, hopefully is listening to this from above, uh, she did something great that at the time I thought was a little over the top, but basically my whole senior year of high school, she put a basket in the corner of my room and over the course of the year as the things that I used like deodorant and toothpaste and my particular brand of shampoo and conditioner went on sale, she would buy 
a couple Uh, and put it there. And so by the time I was ready to go off to college, all of those things that you don't necessarily think about, I had a whole stash of it. And I never had to buy one thing my entire freshman year of of college, which was pretty awesome and um, a way to hit those sales, like what you are saying. So something else. Here's another one other one other, one other thing, tip yeah. I was just going to mention is the um, since my kids are done, my nephew starts college in the fall. He's going to come over and shop our basement. You know, we have risers for the beds. We have all this stuff left over that you know he can take. I just want to get rid of it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, here's a question because because a lot of people use um, five twenty nine plans to save for college, and those are meant to be for. Um, college uh, expenses, can you use 529 plan funds to buy these kinds of supplies? Not for these kind of supplies, but a 529 plan can be used for computers, books, pens, pencils, um, things like that. So it it can be used for um, things specifically required for the class, but not for your living arrangement. Got it. Well, which then brings us to the next question, which is books, right? We always hear how expensive they are, and um, sometimes, possibly often, these are books you're going to need for a class and then never really need again. So what kinds of recommendations do you have about saving money on books? Luckily, there are a lot of options today for when buying college books. And you'd get the best opportunity to save money if you can wait until the first day of class. I know this is hard for a lot of students who want to be prepared, but if you can wait till the first day of class and really listen to what the professor is saying about which books are required, which books we're going to use, and oftentimes the professor will give you ideas of where to buy the book uh, for the cheapest amount of money. The one thing to do is to avoid the college bookstore. That typically is the highest price. We did some shopping around and, and looked, and, and definitely the college bookstore was the most expensive. You do have to wait until you get your class schedule so you know what you're registered for and what the required books are. Again, if you can wait until the class starts. But some of the websites that we took advantage of was Amazon and getting a Prime membership. With a student email address, you can get six months of Amazon Prime for free, which comes with two-day shipping. So if you're waiting till the first day of class to order your book, you'll have it in two days if you have Amazon Prime. Uh, another great website is Chegg, C-H-E-G-G. Chegg has books for rent um, where you can rent the book for the semester. They'll send it with a package, uh, an envelope, that you can ship it back at the end of the semester. Um, and then a lot of people are doing electronic books or PDF versions of smaller books. So there's a lot of different formats that books are coming in today. Uh, new, used, um, rented, electronic, PDF, so that you don't have to buy the most expensive book in the most expensive version that's out there. I think thinking ahead of what are you going to, are you going to save this book? Are you going to use it for all four years of college? Kind of have that conversation with yourself of, is this a book I'm going to want to read at a later date? Or is this one I have no problem? Uh, I'll use it for the semester and send it back. Right, right. And um, I think it's really good advice because I do remember having classes where there might be books on the syllabus that the professor would say, we're probably not really going to read that. Or maybe, um, I I also remember professors saying things like, you can go to the library and get this book, or we're only Mm going to read a passage from this book. So you can go to the library, read the passage, turn it back in. Um, The one 
tip I would offer if that's something you're going to do is get to the library basically that day, take the book out, um, maybe read the pack passage or the day that reading is assigned, um, get to the library because usually the library doesn't have unlimited copies of books. And so you might find yourself waiting on a copy of the book that someone else has already taken out. And that defeats the purpose of taking it out of, of the library. And and for these, Lori, 529 plan funds can be used for this kind of thing? Yes, if it's a book that's on the syllabus as required for the class. Got it. Okay. Any any tips? Um, we didn't really touch base on this, but any tips that you have on computers? Most kids are going to go off to college with a computer of some kind, often a laptop. Um, any Any thoughts you have on ways to save money on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not the best when it comes to technology, so I would refer to someone else about what the student might really need. But one thing to think about is where will that laptop be serviced if there's a problem? Because there's always going to be a problem. Right. A lot of college campuses, some colleges will include a laptop as part of their price or suggest a laptop that you buy from the college, and then they will guarantee that their IT office will service it. Mm-hmm. which is kind of exactly. a peace of mind. It may not be what you were planning on buying. Uh, you might not be able to use any coupons or shop around for it, but to have that peace of mind, if something happens to the laptop with your child's report that's due the next day, you can mm-hmm. bring it to the IT office and they will repair it for free. So it's not so much the laptop itself, but where are you going to get it serviced and the software that you might need for it as well. Exactly. I, I know that I believe that we went that route with my stepson and um, I think his laptop has been pretty great shape for him. The other thing, uh, you know, the other tip I would have is whether or not you really need a printer. Often colleges have places you can go to print things out. But if you're mm-hmm. going to be working on a lot of if you're going to be doing a lot of writing and a lot of printing, maybe you want to have your own desktop printer because it's right there. And if you're working on things right in your room, that's going to save you time and possibly money if it costs money to print things. So something else to consider. Um, My biggest piece of advice, a final piece of advice that I would have is just keep track of your emails as they're coming in. And if they're coming to your child, um, make sure your child is keeping track of those because you may miss out on tips and deals that, that are being offered um, by the colleges. So you want to pay attention to that. And Lori, I don't know if you have any final tips to leave us with. I would, I would second that about checking the emails and, and, you know, just looking at all your options, not just, you know, the first idea that comes along, this is where I'll buy it, this is what I need. You know, have the discussion with other students. Did you really use that book? You know, do you really need that for your room? No sense bringing everything with you if you don't need it and spending that money. College is expensive enough. You don't have to waste any more money. Exactly. And you're not going to Antarctica. There are stores where you are (laughs) and you can always get out and buy more if you need it. Lori, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. All right, we'll be, we're going to take a short break, but when we get back, we're going to be talking about colleges and universities in the UK, so don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. I'm really excited to continue a conversation that we started back on April 12th. So if you are interested in uh, exploring schools in the UK, thinking about applying to any of them, we did a, a segment on our April 12th podcast talking about some of the big myths surrounding U.S. students applying to colleges in the U.K. And today, I'm really excited to welcome my colleague, who is a former Georgetown admissions officer and also a former college counselor at Canadian International School in Hong Kong, where she had lots of students applying to the U.K., um, come on to continue that conversation and talk a little bit more uh, about going to university in the UK and kind of figuring out what the best places are for you. So Lauren, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Beth. So before we came on the air today, we were kind of going back and forth about some of the things that we wanted to share. And I think for me, one of the big um, questions I always have is if I have students interested in the UK, they're often primarily interested in the ones, the big ones that they've heard about, namely Oxford, Cambridge, and St. Andrews. And not all students who I work with are going to be competitive for Oxford, Cambridge, and St. Andrews, but they still are very interested in the idea of going abroad. So I would love to get your thoughts on What are uh, some resources um, that students can use to look at and compare their options and, and frankly, become more familiar with their options, especially if they're from the U.S. and the idea of going to the U.K. is at the moment very narrow? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I agree with you. A lot of students that that we work with in the U.S., they can name those those big three. Um, And I guess it's not that... um, that difference than a lot of students that can only name certain, uh, that only can rattle off name brand institutions um, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, 
It's really a backwards uh, approach, particularly for the UK. When you ask, you know, how do I choose a university? That's, that's really the wrong way to go about it. For the UK, if you choose the university first, if you say, well, I want to go to, to Oxford or I want to go to um, London School of Economics, you might actually be limiting the range of courses that you have available to you. So you really should be thinking about first pursuing your subject interests, your course of study, your major um, at that university rather than the name of the university itself. Um, and as I think that's a little bit different of approach. In the U.S., we really focus on best university as a whole, where the mm-hmm. UK, it real, the approach really should be best fit program of study, course, major. Right. Those, those terms can all be used uh, interchangeably. Um, because, you know, if you, and maybe you already covered this, but if you go to, to study in the UK, you're, there are not general education requirements like there are in the US. You don't um, declare your, your major while you're studying it. You declare it at the time of admission, right? So right. you have to know when you're applying to that university that, that that course is the best one for you. And not all universities will have all the same courses. So how do, how do we look into this? Um, first of all, if that's, if that's overwhelming to you, I would maybe say, okay, let's, let's slow down on the, on the rush to the UK, because really you need to know that course of study. But if you really do want to say, you know what, I want to just explore universities first. Okay. Even though I said it's the wrong way to go about it, let me, let, let's still approach it that way. I would say that the first place you need to do, if you're just trying, uh, first place you need to go, um, if you're just trying to get an overview, is the British Council. And I know we had a great guest um, from mm-hmm. the British Council on, on the show. Um, but if you go to their website, um, just put in British Council or uh, into your search engine, you can really learn about different cities, towns, regions of the UK, um, and then programs of study and, and information on each university. But you can dig even deeper on that, on that site. You can look into scholarships and read articles about international student life. So I think the British Council is probably the best place for a general overview. But then the end-all, be-all is really the UCAS website. And What's really important about this site is that it's going to be where you ultimately apply, and we can talk about that with the application, but it's also where you should start. The amount of search options on the on UCAS.com is unbelievable. It's really different than, I would say, than our common application site, which is primarily just the application itself. This mm-hmm. uh, We can talk about what's on there, but there's a lot to, to search on UCAS. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then, so that'll at least give you the, those are two great places to go to find out what even is out there. But getting back to your point, which is that the best place to start, particularly when you look at the UK, because you have to declare your major really from the outset, or if you're in, if you're looking at Scotland, you at least have to declare a couple of majors of interest. Um, where do you go to find out if you're doing it the right way that we would consider mm-hmm. the right way um, to look at what course options are out there? And then once you have identified those options of interest, it will pop up all of the colleges that are offering those course options. So how do you research by course? Yes, that's major? on UCAS, on the UCAS website. Okay, and we'll, Got it. Let's spell it UCAS. It's UCAS, UCAS.com. 
Um, and you can, and what I love about this is that when you search by different courses, um, so if you want to, and, and these are subject areas, so if you put in computer science, well, then it'll, it'll give you an overview of computer science. So it'll give you course descriptions, and they will mention things like qualities, skills, and experience that's useful to have for, for that subject. And you should really, really take note of this. Um, because first of all, do you fit those qualities? But those are the things that they're going to look for in your personal statement. And we can get to that eventually if you want to, um, about what to write about. But they, they give you those buzzwords and say, all right, this is what this course is all about. Now, do you match with that? So that's why I really love the UCAS website. Um, to search by the subject area and, and to see, you know, what it's all about. Because some, I, I can't tell you how many students I've worked with that say, you know, I want to be an engineer, but they really don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a great way to, to dig deeper into um, different subject areas. And I think it's worth pointing out, too, that if you go to high school in the U.K., For the most part, those students have been focusing in on one area. Um, Maybe not if they've attended an international school where the philosophy might be a little bit different, but it isn't uncommon for students to have already narrowed down their options when it's time to apply to university in the UK, for UK students to Mm -hmm. have already done so. Whereas here in the US, we really value that breadth of curriculum. So there is another way to look at this, I suppose, which would be if you are not super interested in breadth and you are one of those rare, honestly, I will say it, it is rare that a teenager will know exactly what they want to focus on. Even if you've met many who say they do, they often change their mind. I'm just throwing this out there. Um, It might be an American thing. I don't know. But um, Uh if you are one of those students who has really thought, you know, hey, I I really want to just focus in, you may want to look to the UK because focusing in the US can actually be a negative in the college admissions process, whereas in the UK, it could be, it potentially could be a positive in their process. Absolutely. When you talk about switching majors, um, that is absolutely common in in the U.S. It's pretty rare in the U.K., and if you want to change your major, that typically has to happen early within the first semester. And remember, a U.K. education is only three years. In Scotland, Mm -hmm. it's four, but in the rest of the U.K., um, it's only three years. So it's rare to change your mind. Um, I do want to point out um, two other resources just to get an overview. And I'm always, I am always weary of, of rankings. And so now I'm going to send you to rankings, but you know, you take everything with a grain of salt of, of, of how these, these um, rankings are, are put together. Um, So know that. But what I do like about um, some of the rankings uh, in, in the UK is that, you, yes, you can look for overall um, rankings for universities, but more importantly, they, those same rankings can be um, uh, filtered by subject area. And I think in the U.S., it's actually harder to find. Where do you find the list of best computer science programs? Mm-hmm. Um, that can be harder. In the U.K., that's really normal um, to do. So, first of all, rankings, they're not called rankings. They're called league tables league tables, um, and two that I would go to, um, you can put into your search engine, the complete university guide league tables, it'll take you right there, or the guardian league tables. Um, and again, it'll populate with overall rankings, but you can quickly filter by your subject area. Got it. 
That's a cool resource. Here's another thing I would love to hit on um, because I spent a lot of time in the UK over the past year. Um, and while I was there, I tried to take advantage of being there and going out and seeing some colleges. When I visited Oxford, I went on a visiting day um, and I did the same with St. Andrews. However, when I visited Cambridge, I there wasn't anything going on when I was going to be in the UK. So I essentially just took a train out to the campus and showed up on a non-visiting day, went, <clears throat> went to what was identified as the admissions office and was pretty much dispatched very quickly and not particularly nicely mm-hmm. with no information. <laughs> they, A, did not... Um, seem to understand what I was doing, what my role was. Um, and also, it was clear that this was not a place where they routinely welcomed parents and students. Um, this office was not a place where they routinely welcomed parents and students. I don't want to say that there it wasn't a welcoming place. So I would love any insight you can share on that part of the process and how it's different from here in the U.S. So different. <laughs> I would say if you showed up to a college campus in the U.S., you're going to be able to talk to somebody, even if there isn't, if you didn't show up at the right time for a tour, you'll find somebody that will that will speak to you. That is definitely not the, the same um, in, in the U.K., particularly with uh, there's a level of complication with Oxford and Cambridge, because while there is a university, they're, they're comprised of individual colleges. And you apply to individual colleges at Oxford or Cambridge. So you could show up and and, um, maybe only one college or some colleges within that university have open days. And if they're not the ones that you're looking for, you're still out of luck. So you absolutely have to plan in advance. Um, So the the easiest way here, um, again, go to UCAS, the UCAS website. If you click under the, if you click on the undergraduate tab, it says open days and events. Um, it gives you great tips, what to think about, but then there is, uh, and you can find open days for all universities. So you can filter it by universities that you're looking for or dates that you're going to be there. Um, so that's a good way to get the full scoop. Um, otherwise, you have to go to the individual co- universities um, website. So I'm just, because you mentioned it, I'm looking at Cambridge right now. If you want to go tour Cambridge this year, you can go on July 5th or July 6th, period. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Those are the the two open open days for the university. Now, there's many other days available where, like I said, the individual colleges have open days, and that will go through September, it looks like. But if you show up in November, on their website right now, it doesn't show anything. Um, so you yeah. definitely have to plan uh, well in advance um, to, to make that, that visit worthwhile. And when I was touring um, Oxford, I did meet a family from the U.S. and they were seeing it for the, um, actually, sorry, it wasn't Oxford, it was um, St. Andrews. They were seeing it for the first time. And um, so the student had applied, gotten in, and then they went out to see during those sort of visiting days. This isn't um, something we typically recommend here, but if you've missed all of the open days, aside from just kind of going and walking around the campus, that may be something that you need to do um, before you can uh, mm-hmm. kind of commit to, to going there. Um, so Lauren, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're close to the end of our time. 
So what I think I'd love to do is uh, have you come back on and we can talk a little bit more about um, the UCAS, the resources you'll find there, um, some of the nuances of applying to colleges in the U.S. So we've given you some great tips tips about looking for the right ones to apply to. Um, the one thing I would I wanted to add because I had this experience when I was visiting St. Andrews, and I do think you can probably extrapolate it to the larger group of schools in the UK and probably in general in Europe. When I showed up to St. Andrews, I was with my son, who at the time was in seventh grade, and I had signed him up as the student because I thought, well, he'll come, he'll take a look, no big deal. Well, the first thing they do when you arrive is separate you. So they sent him upstairs Mm -hmm. to go and um, register as the student and get some materials, and they shuttled me off into a side room where they were putting parents. I love this. My son was totally fine with it. It wasn't an issue, <laughs> but um, I immediately thought, ooh, I could think of a lot of parents who would not like that approach. But the reality is that in the UK and in Europe, um, and I think in Canada, the focus is really on the student. This is the student's totally. experience. This is the student's school and that's who they are catering to. And while as a parent, you're definitely paying and you're definitely sending your kid off the fact is that you should anticipate that they're going to be addressing your student and treating your student as an adult. Uh, and there's a lot less handholding than you will find here in the U.S. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, that is a really good way to test the waters. If you as a parent are uncomfortable that, or if the student is uncomfortable being separated for an information session, well, maybe they're not ready to go across the, yep. the Atlantic Ocean um, for the next three years of, of studying um, if they can't handle that, that momentary separation. That's exactly right. I, you, you know your children well. There are some students who would thrive in that scenario, and then there are those who it would be deeply uncomfortable. And so if it makes you uncomfortable, then it's fine, right? This is just an option for people to consider. Um, Lauren, thanks so much for being here today. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to having you back, and we can dig a little bit more deeply into the whole UCAS piece at that time. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Beth. All right, everyone, Um, don't go away. We are coming right back and we're going to be talking about surviving the transition back home after a first year in college. And I have an expert who has survived it twice himself. So you don't want to miss this. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. 
visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. I am super excited to welcome my colleague, who I don't think has been on the show for a while um, and always has great insight and great advice, but my colleague, Kenan Dick, who is a former admissions officer at Swarthmore College, Drexel, Uh, and Johnson State, so a nice wide range of schools. But most importantly for our conversation today, he has two kids in college. Uh, Hi, Kenan. Hi, how are you, Beth? I'm good, thanks. And thank you so much for coming on to share your personal experiences with something that can be pretty tricky. Uh, And I actually have a funny story that at some point, hopefully I can share about just transitioning home after being away uh, in college. Mm-hmm. And I actually, my story happened my very first trip home. But um, I think what we're mostly focusing on today is when your kids come home to stay. So they're back from college yeah. and they're back for the summer. So I think just in terms of getting started, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you have an older son, Ryan, and a younger daughter, Megan. They're both in college. Mm -hmm. Ryan, of course, went off first. What went well and what didn't go so well when Ryan came home the first time? That's a great question. And um, and I think that the hard part about this whole issue is that it's a trying time, not only for the parents, um, and clearly there are significant challenges for the parents in this situation, um, and a lot of this is going to be kind of new for them, but also for the kids, um, and that, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of figure out, you know, what's permissible, what's not permissible. They've just gotten a huge dose of independence, um, and to be able to pretty much do anything that they wanted on their own timeline. You know, they can go to bed at three o'clock in the morning or they can go to bed, you know, at nine o'clock at night, whatever they want to do, they can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they have a lot of independence and then they come home for that, that Christmas break. And then that's kind of the first test. And then the, usually the big test is when they come home for, for that summer vacation. And I know that when my my oldest son, Ryan went off and he did his, you know, the first freshman year at Virginia tech and coming home, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was trying and mm-hmm. Maura and I, my wife had to put a lot of thought into, you know, how do we want to do this? What's going to be kind of our philosophy in terms of, you know, how we treat him when he comes home. And we erred on the side of flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. And our mentality when, when he was returning was, well, if he was still at college, we wouldn't know, or we wouldn't have the kind of input into what he was doing and, and his schedule and things of that nature that, that we do now, right? Mm-hmm. So we try to give him as much flexibility as, as possible to, you know, to make his decisions, to uh, make his own schedule, et cetera. 
and not be too restrictive and kind of respect that newfound independence as, as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, quite frankly, that was problematic, right? I mean, you know, they would come home at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and, you know, after being out all night with friends and that kind of stuff. And it was really disruptive, right? Because you still have to get up at, at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. And my wife has real difficulties, a very likely person. So she has a lot of difficulty with, you know, just getting to sleep if people are mm-hmm. out. And, um, and once they do come home, she wakes up and then she's up for an hour. So there's a lot of kind of conflict and, um, and, and just friction in, in that policy. Yep. So then we kind of said, okay, you know what? This is not working. And so we changed to the idea of, you know what, this is still our house and our rules. And what really kind of brought this home for us was that we still have a high schooler. At the time, we had an eighth grader, um, our youngest son, Nolan. And part of what we were having difficulty was that um, we have, you know, the, the college kids on one hand and that independence. And we also have a kid who's still in high school and they're modeling behavior for him, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so... The things that, you know, were not permissible in high school because of that, right, you had to kind of respect those house rules and things of that nature, um, and, you know, that modeling behavior was part of that thinking, that's still active, right? That's still a thing. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, when they're coming home at 4 a.m., what does that say to your little brother? And so right. then we kind of said, okay, you know what? I know this is going to be restrictive to you guys, and we're going to try to give you some flexibility, but the 2 a.m., 4 a.m. stuff has just got to stop. Right. And so, you know, we said, you know, maybe on the weekends or something like that, and we had different machinations of, of how that might work, but it was certainly more restrictive than it started out. Right. What, what's and, interesting, oh, I'm sorry, Kenan, I, I just wanted to pop in and say, what's interesting to me about that is that I do think you approached it, you, you had to find a happy medium that was going to work for you, but I do love the idea that you approached it from the perspective of, okay, well, they're coming from all this freedom. How do we expect it to go right back to the way it was? Because it can't. And I think that's one of the biggest adjustments that a lot of families should probably think about and understand that what was appropriate for a high school senior may not be the same thing that's appropriate for your college, just finished college freshman year. And so while you put in greater restrictions than you originally had, I would guess that they weren't still the same restrictions that were there when Ryan was a senior. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're trying to be, again, we're trying to respect some of that, that independence and give them the mm-hmm. freedom to, you know, to do some of the things that kids that age are going to do. But at the same time, we can't just let that go constantly. Otherwise, it just it gets so disruptive. And then, you know, one of the interesting things was that, you know, as, as he kind of matured and, and kind of went through that process, he got to a point where he was really into um, you know, the Tim Ferriss books and, you know, and how to kind of create um, habits that are going to make you successful. And so, you know, all of a sudden he's going to bed at 10 o'clock at night and getting <laughs> up at, you know, at five, six o'clock in the morning to get his two, three hours of reading in. And so all of a sudden his schedule totally changed. And, mm-hmm. and now we're trying to be quiet because Ryan's going to bed and we're watching the news. It was 11, that kind of thing. And it was a, it was a right. totally different situation. That's and then funny. his sister comes home from college, um, and it's the whole thing all over again, right? And so, you know, she's coming back and, and with that independence, and she just has, you know, uh, each kid is going to be different in how they react to this kind of stuff. Ryan, you know, is one of those kids where, um, you know, if you, if you give him rules and then you say there are consequences to those rules, he'll, he'll live by them. 
right? He's like, mm-hmm. no, the consequences are too much for me. I'll stick by the rules. I'll probably push it to, you know, that that very last second. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, but I'll, I'll stick by the rules. And my daughter had a lot more pushback, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it's kind of, again, going through that, kind of figuring out how we can establish a workable medium uh, in between those two things. And we tried things like, you know, you can, can come home later, but you always have to tell us where you are. That worked for about a week, uh, and then that fell by the wayside. And, you know, so we were trying a whole bunch of different things in, in the meantime to try to figure out where that happy balance um, is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit that we're still not there yet, right? We're still trying to strike that balance. And, right. and it's certainly for parents not an easy one. Um, it's really, I think it's really easy to be able to say, hey, you know, high school rules, just like when you were here before, these are the rules that you have to stick by, you're, you know, because of your younger brother, this is it. Right. And, and you're going to get a lot of friction and chafing, and it's going to, it's going to be kind of miserable for everybody. Right. So, it's, it's, again, it's trying to find that happy medium and knowing when you can give some and when you have to kind of hold firm. Right. And I think a really good point about it, depending on the kid, I will say that I had what I considered to be very restrictive rules when I was in high school, um, especially Mm -hmm. because I went to high school a half an hour away from my home. So when I was out with my friends, um, if my curfew was midnight, that meant leaving at 1115 because I needed to make it home on time without racing to get there and I did not appreciate that at all. Um, My Mm -hmm. first trip home after being away at college was for Thanksgiving. And my very first night, I went out and met up with a bunch of my friends from high school. uh, And I no one said anything about a curfew. So I thought, well, I'm not going to go home for a curfew. (laughs) And I ended up Mm -hmm. coming home at three in the morning. which I didn't really intend, but I, I, I'll admit that I probably was sort of, you know, pushing the boundaries to see what they were. And when I got home, mm-hmm. I realized I had forgotten my key. So my my father had to get out of bed at three in the morning and let me in. And he, to his credit, these were the people who had a very strict curfew for me. They didn't say anything. And um, mm-hmm. I didn't really push it much after that. I really appreciated that. <clears throat> they let me do that. I flaunted it. I, you know, it didn't, it, it was not ideal that I had to wake them up. And, um, and I really kind of strove never to have that happen again. Um, that was me. You know, another kid would mm-hmm. probably act differently, but that was me. And I, I just, I always appreciated that. My parents actually did do the whole like, okay, you're away at college and this is how it is now um, thing. And it did work with me, but um, it for sure doesn't work with everyone. So quickly right. though, um, because we're, we're now, uh, we were wor- wondering if we'd have enough to talk about. And now I'm sort of like, oh no, we're not going to get to talk about everything. <laughs> um, what are some, um, what are some other changes that you guys made um, for both of your kids? Well, I think one of the rules that, um, and again, this is, you're never 100% perfect, perfect on all of the stuff, but, you know, one of the ideas that we had is that whatever, you know, the independence comes with responsibilities. So whatever mm-hmm. you were responsible for doing um, while you were away at college, you're responsible for doing it here, too. So mm-hmm. don't expect to, to come home and dump your laundry and have us do that for you, right? So, right. Um, you know, so you're responsible for doing your laundry. You're responsible for making sure it gets out of the dryer and up your room so that, you know, everybody, there's no, you know, a line stacked behind you. Um, you know, if you're driving the car, you know, you have to do oil changes, right? So yep. I'm not the only one who's underneath the car trying to change the oil. You're right there with me. 
right. so it's just things like like that that I think um, you know are part of those responsibilities that they need to start thinking about, and this is a good way to kind of introduce that. And I think that what you can do as well is you can say, you know, if you want these in, this level of independence, that these are the responsibilities that go with them. And mm-hmm. if you can't work with me, then that makes me less likely to work with you. Right. And so, you know, if you can't handle the responsibilities, then you can't handle, handle the freedoms either. Right. No, um, absolutely. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And, and so, and, but you bring up a, a really good point, which is that, um, and this is, I think, good for all parents to hear, is that that first night of Thanksgiving break is usually the worst night. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is that, like, for fall break, everyone's coming home at different times. So it's not like everyone from high school, all your high school, you know, buddies are home at the same time. Thanksgiving, that's pretty much true. Everybody comes home that Wednesday night, and that is the biggest party night for, for this age group of the year. Mm-hmm. So that's something I think for, for parents, especially if they have a freshman going off this, uh, this fall, that's the one night that you want to be ready for. Right. And anticipate that they're going to want to go out with their friends and not hang around with you. And don't be offended by that because that is the night that right. everybody, it's a huge night all across the country where, where people are getting together and not just kids, but probably that group is the one most likely. Um, really exactly. quickly, because we are running short on time, but I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something called the spare t- tire test. What is that all right. about? <laughs> this is kind of one of those responsibilities. Like, if you're going to be out late, and, you know, so it's 1 o'clock in the morning, um, and you get a flat tire, you're probably not going to call me at, at 1 o'clock in the morning, or you're going to be really hesitant to call me. So, mm-hmm. you know, instead of waiting an hour and a half for AAA to come, you should know how to, you know, change a tire. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we did for each of the kids is say, okay, you know, here's the jack. You jack up the car take the tire off, put it back on, know where the spare is, and do that tire test. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, if you find yourself in that position at, you know, at 1 o'clock in the morning, you know how to do it. So it's just like just an example of one of those responsibilities that you can kind of take them through and say, you know, this is part of, of becoming an adult. You need to be self-sufficient. And this is one of those skills and one of those things that you should know how to do. I'm guessing that I have some parents listening right now saying, okay, I don't know how to change the tire on my car because I am one of those parents. <laughs> so, I mean, that's a good one. You're, I think you are, you are really equipping your kids well for this uh, transition to adulthood, Kenan, and it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, thanks so much for Thank being you. here today. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Uh, and so thanks to Kenan. Thanks to all my guests. Um, next week, I'm back. I'm hosting again. I hope you guys like it when I'm hosting because I've been hosting a lot lately and I love it. Um, we're going to be talking about community college financial aid offices. You may not know that that exists, but it does. And that's one of our segments next week. We're also going to be talking about using LinkedIn as part of your application strategy. Very excited to welcome my guest who's an expert in that to talk to us about that. Uh, in office hours, we're going to be uh, covering getting started on the common application. Why I was mentioning you at the very beginning, you rising seniors, this is something you're going to want to learn more about. Uh, if you have questions, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We have wonderful archives. I mentioned that on April 12th, we did a segment on myths around the UK. So check that out. But there's lots more good stuff in there. Um, We also have a great blog, blog blog.getintocollege.com. And we're on Facebook. So follow us there and you'll get all the latest, including recaps 
of these uh, podcasts so that you, if can just see that on the fly if you're interested. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. 